Welcome to the Crying of My Cheesecake podcast, where we are in pursuit of living life abundantly, not held back by our body size or symptoms, nor are we held back by our hurts, habits, or other obstacles in life. Learn the secrets to crush it in your health, wellness, relationships, and spiritual life. I am Danielle, your host and practitioner, and in this episode, we're doing a little, little something different. I am, you're going to actually hear or step into the conversation I had with a longtime client and she has had this on her heart and so have I for years to address kind of this silent group of ladies specifically maybe gentlemen too but the demographics say that mostly ladies are listening to this podcast so something that's kind of silent that some a lot of women not some but a lot of women actually struggle with and it's the fears of the heavier woman. And this gal that I talk with in this episode, you're literally going to enter into our conversation. It's so cool. We just literally started spewing things out in a way that was like, oh my gosh, it's almost like we have held this in for so long. It needs to be, it needs to be shared. It needs to be shared in order to create that human connection in order to like this vulnerability, because I I always say vulnerability leads to human connection, which leads to change. And the change I'm looking for is not, is not necessarily acceptance. It's not necessarily like, you know, anything like that, but it's this change of mind that I'm not alone. And that's where I'm going today with this episode, because so often we find ourselves feeling lonely and isolated. And I often think that sometimes we are our own self. We sabotage ourselves. We're our own worst enemy because we see things magnified at a at a level of magnification that no one else sees and no one else even cares about. And so we will pull away because we feel shameful, We because we feel that we've done something wrong, we've not been perfect, we don't have the perfect body. And one example, and this may be TMI for some of you ladies out there, but one example is if you have saggy boobs, you're not supposed to go without a bra. And that is something that I am working on in 2024 is that it's okay for a woman with not perky boobs to also go without a bra, even if it's outside the home. And that's something that it's like, I shouldn't feel shame over my saggy boobs because they nursed three babies. They may be empty sacks and my kids affectionately call them punching bags and, and pancakes, empty pancakes. But it's, it's something that it, it causes... I don't know, self-consciousness. It causes this idea that I'm not feminine enough because my boobs aren't where they were many years ago. <laughs> and this morning I even shared this reel about good girls. You know, I was taught to be a good girl growing up and being a good girl actually meant, when you, when you dissect it out, being a good girl meant that I didn't rock the boat. And that is heavy for me. I didn't rock the boat. I didn't draw attention to myself. And if I did, if it wasn't good attention, I mean, I was in trouble big time. It, and it wasn't like I got beat, which I did get beat at times because I, I know that I deserved most of those beatings, if not all of them. But it was that I'm disappointed in you. And fun fact, oh my gosh, we're just sharing all the stories today, aren't we? And you're, you're going to understand why, because this episode goes really deep. <laughs> but I forgot to pick my daughter up from gymnastics on Saturday. Oh my gosh. So I have forgotten both my boys and my daughter's biggest fear is being forgotten. Okay. 
and we actually went one day we were I think three minutes late because the boys and my husband and I went to the farmer's market and we were just literally three minutes late to pick her up and she was on the side of the of the or on the sidewalk like sobbing uncontrollably and so I drove straight to AT&T got their cheapest iPhone and it was literally it was free actually at the time which I'm like okay cool and it's like the most generic of iPhones ever we have everything locked down and she is so she uses it as a phone and texting just for us when she is gone it's always plugged in in the kitchen so we ran straight to AT&T and got her a phone and I really think that that saved and prepared for me for getting her on Saturday but anyway so we got in the car or I get in the car and I call her back and I'm like hey babe I'm just gonna talk to you the whole time while I'm while I'm on my way and it was like 10 minutes or something to come get her and I'm like I'm gonna talk to you the whole time so you know that I'm on my way and that you're not alone all of the things I'm like I thought I'm doing a good I'm doing a great job good job mom patting myself on the back okay then she gets in the car and she's definitely very emotional. And so I'm like, okay, look, it took you 11 years for me to forget you. And then, and I said, honestly, I didn't forget you. I forgot it was my responsibility to pick you up because it's usually my husband that does it anyway. And I was writing my dissertation. I had a really good excuse, but also that's not a good excuse to forget your child, <laughs> especially the one that you, that we are the most cognizant about of never being late to get her anyway. So I'm like, babe, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to forget you or forget to pick you up. But it, in all fairness, it took you 11 years to be forgotten. And your brothers were forgotten at like three. <laughs> and the other one was maybe forgotten at like four or five. I said, so it happened a lot later. At least you were older and, you know, had enough, you know, or was were able to call me and whatever. Well, that wasn't enough. So she went in and was like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And my child, my inner child started to cry. And I was shocked that it came out of her mouth. But also I realized that the word disappointment had been used against me in so many of the wrong ways. My daughter's allowed to be disappointed in me. She's allowed to be disappointed in me because I really did mess up. And that's legit. And it takes time to earn that respect and trust and whatever back, right? But talking about how disappointment was used against me was when I didn't rock or when I was rocking the boat. And I look back and I think of the things that I was quote unquote rocking the boat about. It was having another opinion. It was questioning the way things were and what was expected of me because I didn't, I saw past the manipulation. And it was interesting as I was making this post today about, and I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and just pull it up and read it because I think it's so important to understand that we are not required to not rock the boat. I wrote, whoops, and it's playing in the background. I wrote, I was taught to be the good girl, perfect grades, no rocking the boat, not talking about politics, trusting the government and modern medicine, not to think for myself, but to go along with what is socially acceptable. But all that has, has changed, and here's why. And I can't get this to stop playing, which is annoying. But the thing is, is that we have created a, a culture so tolerant 
that there, the, the number of people walking away from church is insane. We have created a country and a, a culture that is so tolerant that there's no Jesus in it anymore. And those people that follow Jesus just stay quiet. People that are admirers of Jesus walk away because I can walk away from an artist that I, that I admire and not have any relationship with that person. It's about relationships. And again, that idea of vulnerability, being able to be shared in a safe space where it doesn't matter if you rock the boat, but your vulnerabilities are allowed to be shared because then that creates human connection, which then creates change. And that's what I do so deeply in the wilderness of wellness. The wilderness of wellness is a space and say in today's my Bible study, it was about how we need safe spaces to grow and build our roots deep and that everything we do should be a reflection of God's work in us and through us. And it's interesting when we think about vulnerabilities and sharing and having an opinion and rocking the boat and not being a good girl, it's interesting to think about how we live such a small life. And we were taught and told and promised living life abundantly in the promised land back in scripture. And all, some of us are just living, scrolling TikTok scrolling Instagram, scrolling social media, because we are, we don't even have relationships with people in real life anymore. And so then when we have to go do real life things, we don't know how to even behave. And the wilderness of wellness is changing that. It's allowing you to have those deeper relationships in a safe space where you don't have to compare to anybody else, where you can break those minds, mindset habits or thought patterns that you have that are constantly spinning in a record on your, on on your head, in your head. And it makes me wonder how many of you women living or living, <laughs> listening to this podcast are fearful because you're the heavier woman in the room. I am always and always have been one of the heaviest women in the room. Even when at my leanest, I was still the heaviest woman in the room. Even going into Olympic lifting or anything like that, I'm still one of the heaviest women in the room. And in this podcast episode, we talk about how much harder it is for the heavier woman, even if she is healthier. We, we talk about these struggles. Something I didn't talk about, though, is this idea of Olympic lifting, which I'm on pause from still because of my pelvic floor. But which I'm actually going to be, I'm going to a new pelvic floor physical therapist tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. And well, this is going to be uploaded on Wednesday. So anyway, Tuesday, I'm going to the, the new physical therapist that's actually in my office and she understands what's going on and she's going to look at me from a medical perspective. But anyway, to be, to be talked about here in a little bit. But what I didn't talk about with that is that even though I was very lean, Olympic lifting, I would still have to outlift someone that weighed 60 pounds less than me, which I guess it makes sense, but because I'm heavier, I have to lift more. And it's interesting that not only do women like in sports have to perform even harder in that way, but women that are heavier have to pay more in, in clothing 
possibly shoe size, po- probably bras to get bras to go around. I'll never forget when, again, I was at my leanest in the last few, or it was like two or three years ago. I was at my leanest before the Hashimoto's kicked in. <laughs> that was great. But I was at my leanest and my lats were growing. And so my bras, of course, my lats, you know, the muscles in your underneath, behind your armpit, those were growing, which means I had to get bigger bands around for my bra. And of course, that was expensive. And we've been taught that we have to shrink ourselves so much in order to fit in. So this episode goes almost an hour, I think. I'm not 100% sure, but it goes almost an hour. And I want to invite you in to a conversation with two real women sharing their vulnerabilities in hopes of offering you connection and change that you, even if it's a mindset shift, that you're not alone. Now, this client, her name is Carol Aiken. She has been a client, a nutrition client of mine when I was first started nutrition coaching. And then she moved along with me into nutritional therapy. And now she's allowing me to help, you know, be her naturopathic doctor and so forth. And so she has come and shifted along with me, alongside me. And she's also part of my Wilderness of Wellness membership. And she is just like everyone else. She's a new mom. She's had lots of life changes. She's had lots of things happen, but she's always been the larger woman as well. So come join our conversation now. Fears of heavier women, chairs, tying our shoes, all of these things. I think that there are so many pieces of life that are unspoken with women that carry extra weight. And I think we have healthy fears. I think we don't want to sit on a chair and break it. And we want to sit in a chair and know that we fit. But I also know that there are things that that heavier women think about that thinner women have never even, and even gentlemen, have not had to even think. Like, it's not something in the back of their mind. Yeah. So, like, it's something that's never even crossed their mind yeah. to even, like, have to think about, like, when planning, when you're going out somewhere there's so much work that goes into the pre-planning of just meeting a friend for something. Yeah. So like, let's just say that, you know, because we're such a digital, we're in such a digital age where we meet people online or we send text messages or phone calls or FaceTime and stuff. And that's one thing. But when we're like, Hey girl, let's go get a coffee. And then you, Mm -hmm. they shove you in a booth somewhere Mm -hmm. and like, that's the one of the first things I think about. And like most of the time, like I do fit in there, but I still have that body. What is that called? The, is it dysmorphia? Yeah. Where I feel like I'm bigger than I am sometimes. And like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I can fit. But then there are other times I'm like, oh shoot, this is a tight squeeze. Like we're getting close, but it's booths. Like booths are, I don't know. I feel like hostesses should be trained. <laughs> right right like or the places that have the super tall like pub style chairs mm-hmm. it's so uncomfortable and I don't like I sometimes can brush it off and be like oh I'm so short because I'm short too so it's like a double whammy of uncomfort mm-hmm. <laughs> like discomfort but it's like how am I gonna get up in this chair and not make a spectacle of myself this short fat woman trying to get up in this tall chair 
so yeah, I definitely like research the places we're going before now and also the menu because I'm like, okay, what am yep. I going to get? I'm going to get judged about. So there's a lot that, I mean, I call them like fat girl fears because it's, and you're like, it's, it is, it's fears of being a bigger woman. And it's, there's so much physical space that we don't want to take up, but it's also yeah. a mental space that we don't want to take up. Like yes. we want to take, because like some of the things, I guess, just jump into it. I have a list on my phone, <laughs> but some, of a lot of it revolves around social gatherings and things right like our friends and how we're perceived or how we're perceived by the public but one of the things that I will not do is or I hate is if a group of friends are like hey are you hungry let's go out I will never say I'm hungry because I don't want to be perceived as oh you fat girl she must be hungry uh-huh so I will never say that I'm like oh sure I could eat you know try to blow it off or like where do what sounds good to you what and I will I'm not really a very picky person, but I will always say, oh, I'm not picky. What do you guys want? Because me saying, oh, let's go here in my head. It's like, oh, the fat girl clearly wants to go to this. Not that my friends and whoever I'm with, they're thinking any of that. That's right. what I think they're perceiving, though. I'm a larger person, so I must be hungry. And I must want to go and eat this big meal and X, Y, and Z. One of the things I also wrote down is... And I'm sure this has happened to many of us larger gals is, again, putting in the road work. We're looking places up before we go. What kind of seating is it? What kind of parking is there? That's also just like an older person thing. I don't want to park. I love, I will parallel park like a fool. Like I've got this, but you asked me to pull into a place and I'm like pit sweat immediately. Like seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I like, oh. How's parking going to be? But then also menu. What am I going to eat that I'm not mm-hmm. going to be perceived as like, maybe I want the big fatty burger. Yep. But I'm like, oh, I'll get the salad or the chicken, whatever, because, yeah. you know, or I'll get a smaller meal. But we, I have either maybe eaten something right before, or yep. I know I'm going to the drive through right after this, but I'm not going to eat what I maybe feel like I want to eat. Because I can't eat like that in front. And I've had so many friends and they're like, they're like, oh, you eat like a bird or you. Yeah. I'm like, that's in front of you. But in the private and like the deep parts of my disorder, like eating disorder, I'm eating by myself in a car, like binging. And that's something too. Like when we think of fears, it's fear of being known. Fear of actually taking up space. I remember You know, so obviously Carol and I grew up together and this was, (laughs) we grew up in the same community. So do you remember in Kenderville when uh, Applebee's first came in? Uh Do you remember that? Like when Applebee's was first there? And then did you remember like the trendy thing to do when we were high schoolers or it it was in high school for me that it came in, I think, but it was so trendy to order the salad and just get the side salad and mm-hmm. girlfriend, I was an athlete and yeah. I was hungry. Yeah. I knew that it was only acceptable to have this salad and that was it. And yes. I think it came with a gar- a piece of garlic toast or something. So it was pure carbs, which means yeah. that it could fill you up like right away. But then you are hungry like a couple hours later, if not before yeah. you leave. Right. Yeah. And I'm just like, it was always to me, like I had to eat 
like a dainty person. And let's be real. Yeah. There is nothing about me that has ever been dainty. <laughs> like yeah. my words, I'm loud. I take up space. <laughs> if I come into the, in any room, people are going to know it because I'm probably crashing into something. Let, let's be real. Yeah. I mean, I got out of the car the other day and I had jeans on, like good jeans, not just old jeans, but you know, like how good jeans are like thicker and yeah. they got some whatever. I got out of my car and I like ran my thigh into something. I'm like, what just went into my thigh? And it was the ice scraper had like gone and like scraped the oh. whole part of my thigh. And I'm like, well, that's fun. So uh. I'm always making a scene. doesn't matter where on purpose or not. Yeah. yeah. I am not built for salad. I mean, I like a salad. I, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's that social acceptable, socially acceptable thing of, Mm -hmm. I should be allowed to eat what I need to eat. Mm -hmm. And let's be real. We were corn fed. Like we were corn fed. We wanted yeah. food. We wanted food to stick to our ribs, but then it actually probably cost our parents more when we would go out because we're not only paying for like the salad and tip, but then we needed more food when we got home. Right. And I think the idea of the fear of being known for who we really are and our needs that runs really deep. Yeah, because we have been told that we have to shrink ourselves and and make no like feel shameful about eating food, no matter what size we are. And mm -hmm. the fear is being known. The fear is taking up space because we've mm -hmm. caused problems or we have perceived that we're a problem like because we know the real us. Right. We know yeah. that we really are a problem and we have problems. Yeah. And we don't want other people to see that. Right. So. It was fun when I went out to lunch with you at a really fun mm -hmm. Mexican restaurant, Indy. I, yeah. I still think about it, by the way. I yeah, it was. It. <laughs> it was really good. But it was so nice to be able to go mm -hmm. out with you and not feel like I had to order a certain way. And there's people that will not go out with me because they think I'm going to judge their food because of my line of work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to be ordering the nachos. I'm going to be ordering the burger. I'm going to be ordering all of the things that everybody else likes. Because yeah. that's real life. And like some of the fears of like of going out is I think that is some of the underlying thing is we don't want to be seen. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't want attention drawn on me because it's potentially negative. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and we take up again a more physical space, mm -hmm. but it's like I don't want to take up anyone's visual space or like mental yeah. space, like too. Like, oh my gosh look at her yeah. that big girl you know because I mean I do it too I'm human I definitely like I'm walking around I see someone who's bigger than me or maybe I just perceive to be bigger than me but probably yeah. we're the same size and I'm like oh my gosh look at her and I'm like that's me yeah <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah but like where did we get to this idea that we're allowed to have opinions of other women's bodies right you know what I'm saying and like we yeah. have to make we have to make I guess, mental space to say, okay, these people are probably going to judge me for these, this, this, and this, but really they just want to spend time with us. Yeah. And it really takes away from our experience with our friends or our family and things. And like, I think that there are things, you know, thinking about our body size, you know, we've talked about going to restaurants, but like when you go to a gym, yeah, when you go to a gym, especially like a CrossFit gym, I mm -hmm. like, I'll go to a regular gym, whatever, but I really like CrossFit gyms because it's just more of what I believe in and more of what I enjoy. 
But all of those bodies in there, while they may not have always looked like that, I get that. Like, I totally get that. But those bodies in there are able to do things that my body may not be able to physically do because of my size. And what's embarrassing is like, while I may be able to do some of those movements and I can, I do many of the Mm -hmm. movements, my body makes noises and like my skin will flap if I'm doing burpees or push-ups, like the sound of my stomach, like flapping and the extra skin that just hangs or my, like when I, I really hate this part when my arm, my arms will clap against my sides Yes. And I'm like, because like the extra boob skin and then whatever the side, whatever's on the side, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like that is so embarrassing that the clapping is yeah. not from someone cheering me on. I guess I am my own cheer. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a positive way to look at that. Yes. I'm going to be my own cheerleading squad. <laughs> yeah. My body's cheering me on. Literally. <laughs> but, but really, like even at home, like I have a full gym at, in my home, in my garage. And even then it gives me pause. I'm like, I'm the only one in here. I'm the yeah. only one who cares what sounds yeah. are coming out, but it still gives me an embarrassed, like almost like a shameful, embarrassing, like, oh, I wish I could just go get this cut off or I wish I yeah. could go do this. And, and So some of the things I've done, and we can get to this later, like some things like how we can overcome some of these thoughts and things like that. But one of the things I do is I play my music so loud that I can't hear it and it drowns it out. Yeah. And it makes me feel good. And it's like music that makes me feel good about myself. And, you know, that's the last thing we want to be thinking about the size of our bodies when we're going out to have fun with family and friends or heading to the gym to make ourselves better. Like these things are so, I guess it's embarrassing, but it's also yeah. makes us feel isolated and alone because mm-hmm. we don't want to talk about it. And we yeah. want to end that stigma. We want to end. Yeah. This well, and I think like you said, like it goes back to you to that feeling of like, I don't, want to be seen I don't want to take up any space here but I should be allowed to like anyone else straight size or whatever because you know like thinking going back to the gym when like I used to go to like at any time fitness specifically because I could go anytime so yeah. I wouldn't go during normal times I'd go late at night when no yeah. one was maybe there and I you know would do my little whatever kind of work out there'd maybe be two other people in there and I'd get the they have like a little room in there and you could do like a class and stuff and I remember being at other gyms and things like one of my favorite things as far as exercise is to dance Mm -hmm. and move my body that way and like Zumba and those kinds of things but and I'd love to go and like take classes and like do something like that but there's this fear you know I've done Zumba classes and things where like I've hidden in the background And I like, because, and I will like kill myself to try to keep up with people so that no one is like, oh, fat girl can't keep up kind of thing. You know, like I might not be able to breathe (laughs) and my face (laughs) is red. I might go through up, but I will like do anything I can push myself so hard just to try to like, you know, kind of keep up, even if it's, you know, like a certain move or something is really difficult and I might hurt myself doing. Yep. And I have (laughs) like, it's, I will do that. So, or I just won't go to those things and shy away from it. And it's like, I'm, you know, the community part of, I think a group class or something or a gym, like you said, like CrossFit, there's such a big community part of that, which is really important. I think 
when looking at our health because it's not just, you know, you need support and you need accountability and you need like someone cheering you on or even like at a gym, if you're doing a movement wrong, I need someone there to show me how to do it. So I don't hurt myself. Yep. So, but I shy away from those things. So it's like, I hold my own self back for fear of what other people may or may not think or view, yeah. but it's all my head. Like, cause I'm judging myself. Yeah. And I think that we are our own worst enemies because if you go, most CrossFit gyms are so inclusive of everyone and it is a family thing. Now I'm just not one that wants to socialize. Like I'm there to get the workout <laughs> in. I don't want to be friends yeah. with anybody. Like I'm so bad. I'm there to work. Just, just give me the, give me the workout. Let me do my thing and tell me what yeah. I'm doing wrong and push me and leave me alone. Like don't talk. To me. I don't yeah. care about the weather. Don't talk to me about the weather. Although the sunshine <laughs> is out, which I will talk about sunshine living in Southwest Ohio with over two weeks of no sun has been not so fun. I actually went and got some vitamin D out because I'm like, I have not yeah. seen a lick of UV anywhere. So I'm yeah. like, I've got to go do something. So yeah. anyway, all that to say, we are our own worst enemies, but it's because mm -hmm. there's the underlying shame factor. Mm -hmm. And I taught, I don't know, the beginning of, the, of January about that people who are overweight or obese 80% mm -hmm. of them think it's their fault. Yeah. And I, I feel that like, oh, I should, like, I shouldn't, I know better or mm -hmm. I, whatever, but I, who, what about that little girl? I was a pretty plus and proud girl. Like uh, Sears catalog and JC Penney catalog. I could not buy my clothes as a young girl at the store. I yep. could not go and try things on. My mom and dad had to spend, you know, what was it? Two, $3 extra on top of what yeah. the normal price of the clothes were. So of course I was paying more money. And so we would have to order it through the catalog back in the old days on the phone, order mm -hmm. it with the call center. And mom would order like two different sizes. So then, you know, mm -hmm. you're putting out that money to begin with, right? Like right. putting out all that money just to see if things fit. And then we'd have to drive 40 minutes to the nearest town to go return it if, mm -hmm. you know, whatever didn't fit. And it just felt so like I wasn't cute. Yeah. I think that started for me personally, it started for me, this, this idea that I didn't fit in with feminine girls. Yeah. And I'm glad I grew up in a time period when I wasn't like my boobs weren't chopped off and I like all of that. I'm glad I was allowed to be a tomboy and be who I am, but it really created this like this space that I thought I had to be more manly because I could fit in more body, mm -hmm. body height. Like I'm five foot 10. We found out I'm five foot 10. I have a new scale in my office and I thought I had shrunk. I thought I'd shrunk an inch. <laughs> I was five foot 10 in high school. And I'm like, I thought I'd shrunk whatever, but apparently when you get healthy and more active and more work on your body, you gain your inch back. So I got my inch back. <laughs> I'm so excited. So five ten. <laughs> nice. I'm gonna own it but yeah. like just like being a taller female and also a bigger female I felt like I had to do what the guys did all the time yeah and don't get me wrong I enjoy doing guy things I enjoy it yeah. it's fun whatever mm -hmm. but it's also like I thought that's how I had to fit in and do things that men do and like just be more dominant and whatever and I am a dominant person but it's like I also want to be a female. Like I also want to feel womanly yeah. and yeah. there's only so many curves that make you feel like a woman when you got too many curves, right? It, it kind of, it kind of 
cancels that out, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It gets a little, yeah. <laughs> it gets a little bit overwhelming. And then like, I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. I remember when I hit 300 pounds, actually was it 300 pounds that it started? I think it was maybe like 280 or 290 is when it started for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started getting these weird boils in between my legs. Oh yeah. I had never yeah. had anything like, like my parents had talked about it, like ingrown hairs and stuff. Like I've had that and like thought about that. Yeah. But I had, after I had my oldest son, I I went and like my husband was gone for the night with his family and I was home with the baby and I decided, oh, he's asleep. I'm going to take a warm bath. So I draw myself a warm bath and like, I was just like laying in the bath. I'm like, oh, there's a lump down there. What is that? So I just put some Epsom salts in, you know, like drawing, you know what I mean? Like drawing out like that kind of thing. And this thing in 30 minutes of being in the bathtub grew to the size of a softball. (laughs) And I'm like, so I call my mom and I'm like, Hey mom, this thing is like, it's not a boil. Like I, you know, whatever. I thought it was just a boil, whatever. Like it wasn't painful. It was just Mm -hmm. heavy and hot. Yeah. Yeah. heavy and hot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the size of a softball between my legs, I could barely walk. And so I'm like, I think I need to go get this lanced. And she's like, I think you do. So I took my baby to the emergency room mm-hmm. and sat there for them to lance this thing with my, you know, my lady bits out and everything out. And yeah. it was embarrassing. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I promise I'm not dirty. Like I just, yeah. I kept saying things right. like that. Right. Yeah. Like, I literally just got out of the tub. I promise I'm not a dirty person, but also can I watch? Because I wanted to see it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> but like I was making excuses in the emergency yeah. room yeah. because I thought dirty people had boils. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's something that people. that's yeah, that's something that other people don't typically worry about or the, or people that are bedridden yeah. get boils, right? Don't they? Is that what they're called? Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm not bedridden. I'm not lazy. I'm out there running. I'm out there doing things. So going back to this idea that being overweight is your fault. Yeah, mm-hmm. your behaviors and habits may may be part of that. Mm-hmm. But my question's always like, what actually caused that? Right. What is actually the root of your weight problems? Right. What is actually the root of that cyst or boil that I had, which ended up being like this huge hole in my leg that my husband had to keep packing and unpacking. It was disgusting, but it was really cool. Oh, it was so really cool. cool. <laughs> it was disgusting. But yes, uh, yeah. after that, I mm-hmm. was like something like I felt that guilt and shame around that boil. Yeah. Or cyst, whatever. Yeah. So what else do you have? Like, what are some other things that, that you have on your notepad that you wrote down? Because yeah, me... we're getting there. We're getting there yeah. kind of deep end. Yeah. yeah. I want to <laughs> so make sure a lot get... of things around, like obviously like food and going out and things. And we talked about the gym, but I, I mean, this one I think is kind of a fairly common one, but not going to amusement parks or go because you're not going to fit on the rides. Mm. And I worked at Disney World for like a year, year and a half or so. And I remember going and I, that was, I was at probably one of my all time lowest weights at the okay. time because what well, well, my mom and I called the Disney diet because I made no money. And <laughs> when you worked in the culinary, you get like a meal voucher. 
Um, mm-hmm. And we had like a little cafeteria and you could go to. And the one where I worked at Epcot had a subway. And like this meal ticket was like maybe $5. It was enough to get like a six inch sub. Mm. So that would be like what I could eat. <laughs> like I'd get that, you know, four or five days a week. And so I lost a lot of weight because I had no money. Like couldn't really go out and okay. whatever. So, and then I worked a lot and you're sweating it all mm-hmm. off. Yep. Physical. So, so it was one of my smallest weights. Like it was the last time I remember being in a size 16 jean. Mm-hmm. And even then, like some of parts of Disney World are old. I mean, most parts are. But there were like turnstile, the turntable. What are those yeah. called? Yeah, you the know, turn, like turn things. I think they're called turnstiles. <laughs> turnstiles, yeah. To walk into certain things, mm-hmm. and I'd have to like turn. You know, I'd got stuck in one before. Like, so there was this fear of like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get stuck. And knowing certain rides where there was like a handicap entrance, like there was just a little gate, so I could like sneak in that way. Mm-hmm. But like, I remember the time, you know, the boy I was dating. Sammy was coming and I'm like, they're going to want to go on all these rides and everything. And I'm like, is this good? Am I going to fit on things? Yeah. And even then I was like, you know, a good hundred pounds lighter. Yep. Now I'm like, well, definitely no. But like, yeah, like certain, and especially like older amusement parks and stuff. I, you know, my husband and I have talked about going um, to like Cedar Point or Kings or certain things like that. And now we have a, you know, we have a little baby. He's a baby now. But like, as he yeah. gets older, it's like, I want to go on these rides. I remember going on as a kid and like loving, like I love roller coasters yes. so much and the thrill of it. And, but like, I want to take him on those things. And I'm like, but am I going to fit? Like, yes. Oh, that is one of my biggest fears is, is just fitting right in general, mm-hmm. anywhere you go. And especially like going on an airplane, get yeah. having to get that extender. Yeah. I had to do that. And it wasn't that big of a deal it what really wasn't like no one like cared or noticed or whatever but i just remember being so shameful yeah of that and like i don't fit in an airplane yeah <sighs> so or like a seat or something so i definitely chairs anywhere you go because even that like i went on vacation a few years ago and of course there was step one was i was going with two other friends and I've never really done like a girlfriend's trip like that before, but it was like, okay, there's so many fears coming up. It's like, you know, one of my other friends who's a little bit bigger and I, I you know, my one friend doesn't, she does eat like a bird, but I'm like, I eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner yep. because if I don't, then I'm going to overindulge in this other yes. meal and I can't do that because I'm with other people. So I can't let them show how I really want to eat. Yep. So, and I'm like, how do I like. But I, here's this fear of like, I don't want to say I'm hungry. I don't want to say, hey, let's go here. Like I, you know, but I don't want to get hangry because yep. that's going to happen. Yep. So, and even like, so there was fear of that. But then even at the resort we stayed at where we had breakfast every day, the chairs there were so uncomfortable because of the arms on them, like yes. arms on chairs, sometimes they'll work. A lot of times they don't. And it's like, you just have to kind of try to just be uncomfortable and wiggle into them wiggle into them and hope you don't get stuck getting up yep also this was more when i was pregnant too but the sweat the ass the butt sweat when you stand up and the chair that people notice it's like oh my gosh so much shame so also had to wear bathing suit in public like just a lot of things oh and having to share uber rides like am i gonna like the three of us all gonna fit in the back seat because it was still like 
somewhat soon after COVID. So there was okay. still some rules about they didn't want anyone in the front, but I was like, I'll yeah. sit up front. I'll fit in that seat. And they were yeah. like, no. So, you know, and certain activities we wanted to do. So it just, yeah, it's, there's a lot. And I think that we, so like we can sit in that shame and fear and things, but I think that there's this piece of that we have locked our voice down. Mm-hmm. We don't speak up. So those of us that struggle with food, thank God, like food addiction is no longer my thing anymore. I have another addiction. It's called work. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's another problem in and of itself. <laughs> We're working on it, right? We're always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is that with food addiction, most people that struggle with food addiction, they are eating to silence themselves because they've been told that their voice is not worth it or that their opinions are no not, not acceptable or don't want to be heard or their pain that they're speaking up about or need to speak up about, it's not safe to talk about our pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are some other things. There are some other pieces like where we've learned that food is love. Like for example, with my dad, he grew up so poor. When I say poor, I mean literally whatever he hunted, trapped, fished, he and his brothers, whatever his sisters and the family grew in the, in the, on the farm. Sometimes they roadkill. When I say that they were poor, they were poor. And I still laugh because my son, my oldest son still can't believe that my dad had an outhouse. Like he didn't have indoor plumbing. And I'm like, that's funny. Anyway, <laughs> he would tell my, he would tell, or he kept telling my oldest, he's like, yeah. And when Sears had the catalogs, that's when everybody was so excited to go outside because you could use the Sears catalog pages and you had pages for days and it wouldn't hurt you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, dad. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, but like he grew up so dirt poor that he never wanted us, which is our family thing. Like we do this as a, as parents, we don't want our kids to experience what we've experienced, right? Like all the hardships, we want to offer them a better life. And so I don't fault him by any means, but when my first word was pancake, mm-hmm. we got a problem <laughs> because I was roly poly, like a pancake. Like I was eating, I was fed I'm not saying I was an easy, I was an easy baby. I wasn't, I had a call. I had, I was colicky, whatever. Maybe that's why I'm so loud now. (laughs) (laughs) But my first word was, or one of my first words was pancake. And apparently I would get up and shake the crib and say, daddy, pancake, daddy, pancake. And because that's Mm -hmm. to me, I was taught that food means love. That having Mm -hmm. food on my table meant that I was loved well. And then in order to show that other person that made the food for you love back, you ate everything on the plate. Mm-hmm. So then I was the queen of queen of clean plate club, clean plate club, mm-hmm. even on seconds, thirds, fourths. And I'll never forget the time too, when I told my mom, and this is n- now knowing what I know now, it was high fructose corn syrup addiction. I told my mom, we went to Arby's one time, which that was a treat. We didn't eat out fast food as a kid very much because it was too expensive. And we always Mm -hmm. just ate whatever was at home, right? Mm -hmm. And one time we went to Arby's and I got a, whatever the regular roast beef. And I told mom, I'm still hungry. I could have had another sandwich. And she's like, well, then you should have told me I would have bought you one. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I know that she meant well with that. But then that started easing me into overindulging because I I did not at that point, I think it was third grade, probably I knew like I was never full. 
I never yeah. experienced or a fullness was when your pants were too tight after eating. Yeah. Yeah. Does that makes sense. Eating till it hurts. Yes. Eating till it hurts. And then you like are burping up the food you've eaten because there's literally no room for it. Yeah. And then I think about like when I was in fourth grade, I was always having to wear sweats. I wore the sweats that remember yep. when Walmart came out with sweats and we've like, again, Walmart was new to us because we didn't have mm-hmm. Walmart near us. We had to drive, but we, um, Walmart would have these matching sweatsuits and that's mm-hmm. all I wore in fourth grade because that's all that would fit. And it was all that was yeah. comfortable and reasonable because I was in that prepubescent period, like where you're awkwardly growing and yeah, all of that. So I didn't quite fit into pretty plus mm-hmm. clothes anymore. And I didn't quite fit into women's size clothes at that time. Yes. So it was like that yeah. weird, whatever. And then I'm just like, I remember as well, like just, again, this is things that we take on and our coping, like, right. We learn how to cope and to deal with things. And again, I'm not saying it's anybody's fault, but I also learned that I couldn't speak up about things without getting ridiculed. Yeah. And it was about that time that I learned that I was going to be made fun of. I was going to be ridiculed for having an opinion that was different than other people's. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly my family, if I can be honest. I don't ever, yeah. ever remember being made fun of by anybody else ever. Oh, wait, Joe Weaver. Joe Weaver made fun of me for saying squat car instead of squad car. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but that's it. Like, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was never made fun of. But the insecurities of my dad's food insecurity of my dad and then the insecurities that my mom carried, she put them on me. And so I knew that I had to be secretive. Mm -hmm. I knew that I had to like hide things. And so Mm -hmm. I never really hid my eating, but like it was just everywhere. It was food everywhere. And I think the only thing that really saved me during middle school and high school was sports. Because yeah. if I wasn't having to run and do things, I would have been yeah. probably 400, 500 pounds. Like, no doubt. Yeah. Right. And I think, I mean, I really didn't participate in sports in middle school, but in high school, the Gallmeyer girls, for some reason, were like, oh, do track, the throwers, they don't run. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll be <laughs> sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> my, my sophomore year. And I did my freshman year. And of course, what did we do? day one we're running we ran cinder hill and i was like you liars but i'm so thankful that i did i was a terrible thrower by the way i boy was not good at it not good at all but i'm so thankful that i they did get me to do that because yeah it, it at least got me moving yes and at least got me doing some because you know my sophomore year i didn't start as early but my junior year i started earlier with the with the winter, like pre-training and stuff, that was my probably other than when I worked at Disney, but like my lowest weight and like my most fit, my senior year, I was not going to do it because I was like, I am terrible at this. I'm not good. I want to do the spring play. And then that got canceled. So I joined late boy. I was so sore. And the next day it was awful because I did nothing to prepare for it. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I, I at least thankfully had that to keep some of the weight at bay. Yeah. Yeah. And but you know, I think, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like people will chalk up our youth to the metabolism that we have. Mm-mm. Not Mm-mm. when you're banking on them calories that we were intaking. Yeah. No. Right. Right. I can't even imagine. Oh, no. Like, 
how many calories I was intaking. <laughs> like I ugh, thankfully didn't really count them so much. Yes. But I think something that you said is goes back a lot too to the huge a huge impact I think on people with eating disorders is food insecurity. Because, mm. you know, I also grew up not I mean my parents didn't have money, you know, either. Like we live in a small rural community. Like no yep. one really was like really rolling in it but like we definitely were not now i will say i I never we never went without right but one of the things that i think you know maybe we didn't have the nicest car we couldn't go on trips Mm -hmm. or whatever but it's one thing that your your parents can provide is food yes and you know junk food is always there (laughs) for you let me like and it's usually pretty inexpensive and processed foods no, you're okay. My my kids are trying to FaceTime me and this oh. is not going well. Oh gosh. I don't know how to make her stop. <laughs> okay, I'm texting her now. Mom, my she I call her mom affectionately. My daughter is trying to check in on me. Okay. Hopefully that works. <laughs> Sorry. mom duties (laughs) right they never stop yes Um, so anyway you were saying food insecurity and the one thing that they could provide was food right and and not that i don't i mean we didn't buy like it's like i remember we never got like fun cereal like my mom Mm -hmm. would get kicks or she really went by every now and then on occasion but we always always had chips in the house we almost always had like pop of some kind we you know always there was always snack stuff kind of yes. around right but I don't know if you've heard of the thing people were like I was an ingredient household I was an ingredient house so maybe there weren't a lot of prepackaged snacks so like some of the things that we would like concoct because it was like you know a snack was I you know like people I don't, I don't thought this was a common thing but we would have tortilla chips sometimes mm-hmm. And you take just cheese and melt it over that, like yeah. nachos, you know, yeah. that's nachos, Oh, we did right? that with Doritos. My dad, we called yeah. them cheese chips. We did it with Doritos. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I would do it on, right, any kind of chip. I'd melt cheese on anything. <laughs> but yep. what else? Oh, there were like, you would just eat chocolate chips as a snack. Uh-huh. I still do that. <laughs> yep. I, they're on my, they're on top of my refrigerator, actually. Yes. I'm like, I still do that. Wait a minute. Or like, so you maybe wouldn't have like a lot of the, like, I, we'd never had like gushers or here we go. 90s references yep. for everyone. <laughs> Fruit by the foot. Dunkaroos. <laughs> Those things didn't necessarily sit in our house. No. But we had things to make snacks. Like you could cook something. So We like frozen cookie dough a lot. I, see, I didn't even get that because that was expensive. And that was special. Wow. Like that probably came from a swan man. I a swan man. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> was so special. You couldn't always afford that. But yeah. we would have, so dad would go to the cheese house and we would oh. always have cheese. Okay. Now here yeah. I'm going to totally out myself. Ingredient household. You ready? Yeah. I didn't know that's what it was called, but I would have um, Colby Jack cheese mm-hmm. or cheddar cheese, like fresh. You know, obviously it was good. Looking back, it was really good quality ingredients, right? Yeah. But I then, then would dip it. I would cut up chunks of it, right? Uh-huh. And dip it in Miracle Whip. That was my snack. That was one That's of my the, favorite your ingredient house kit. Yeah. Yes. That was yes. one of my favorite snacks. And I'm like, uh-huh. 
and like, I look back on it and I'm like, okay, so some of the stuff wasn't terrible, yeah. but it led, to, it led to me overeating yeah. because I, if I felt something I wanted to eat, whether it was good or bad, I wanted to eat. We were a generation that we celebrated with food. Yeah. Like everything you got A's, let's go get food. You did well at your yeah. game. Go, go, go get food. Like it was always, I mean, we were book it kids, right? We were book it kids. You read book your kids, books. Yeah. You went and got your personal pan pizza. Like, right. We were right. Treated like, like dogs, which again, I, it was cultural. It was fine. Like whatever. But mm -hmm. for those of us that struggled with our weight and with food addiction, mm -hmm. it was definitely something that led into all of that. And then for me, like as time went on and we were in school more and things like that, like our ingredient household, like started switching and moving back to, or not moving back, but moving into the space of, we had all the little Debbie things on the, on the counter. We had all the crackers, all the, you know, just very highly processed things available because it was cheaper to feed us that way after school than it was to start to include the ingredients at that point. Yeah. And so, because we were eating more as we got older and grew and things like that. And I noticed yeah. like over time I was eating, like, I kid you not, probably four of the Swiss cake roll, Swiss case rolls. Oh, I was yeah. probably eating four packets of those every mm -hmm. night after school. Yeah. And then I would go on these crazy dieting things where I would eat just celery and whatever and say, no mom, I'm not hungry. And then, so I'd starve myself and then I'd overeat the next day or like, it was just, but I also look at it through the lens of my dad had his first heart attack when I was 11 years old. Yeah. And so like he was diabetic and like, so there was all of this other like pressure of dieting. There was always dieting going on. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like there's this piece of me that's like, if I had it to do all over again, would I do the same thing? I probably would. Yeah. I wouldn't know any different. But where I'm at now is that it's like with my own kids, they have to ask permission before they get snacks. Mm -hmm. And if, and, and if they're getting a snack, I'm like, okay, cool. You need to have something with protein. Well, if you're, if yeah. you're not hungry for protein, then you're actually not hungry. I wish someone had said that to me. Yeah. I wish someone had said, what are you actually feeling right now? Yeah. I wish there had been a space, but in the nineties, we shoved everything under the rug. Yeah everything 90s and early 2000s we shoved everything under the rug mm -hmm. nothing was yeah. allowed to be talked about even at school it wasn't even, I'm not even talking about in our homes I'm talking about even at school yeah so Johnny yeah. got in trouble and nobody talked about it you know right. mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know how we got here oh I know what I wanted to say real quick you said ingredient <laughs> households and food was what uh -huh. they could provide the Roseanne, there's a Roseanne episode that I never felt mm -hmm. more like seen, which I always say that I'm a cross between Roseanne and Mrs. Camden from seventh heaven. Like that's how I kind of, Oh I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like a cross between those two moms, <laughs> but Roseanne said something about, Oh, it was like one of the dieting episodes. And she was like, but food we can provide, or we can afford food. And it was something about how, well, food's not, food's not, food's not a, a thing to, I don't know, like brag about or whatever, or food's not a food's not a luxury. It's a need. And I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh, Oh, mm -hmm. food is a lug. Like I was taught food was a luxury. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And that's how you treated people. And that's how you told them that you loved them and cared for them and all of that stuff. So anyway. And we had these indulgent, heavy butter, like all these things. Because they make you feel good and warm, whatever. Instead of like what we maybe needed. Yeah. Which was just some protein and some (laughs) carbs. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I feel like some of these fears that we have as heavier women is just all of that conflicting advice, conflicting overwhelm, conflicting thoughts. And truly, I think it's a lack of, a lack of knowing how to share our voice in a safe space. Yeah. And be accepted for who we are. Mm -hmm. Learning that we don't have to self-medicate because that's what food is. Food is, food is no better than, alcohol addiction or sex addiction or cocaine addiction literally if someone has trouble with food they're going to have trouble with one of those other items as well because usually you progress to the next one if it's left unchecked and so like for me that was a wake-up call because I struggled with a lot of things up in that in that category the only thing I stayed away from was drugs and thank god I stayed away from drugs because I think I intuitively knew that if I got a hold of drugs, I'm such an addictive personality, I would have been dead. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think I would have. And like, I overindulged in alcohol. Like, I could I could drink my my yeah. husband under the table and he had an issue with it. Like, yeah. yeah, I could drink him under the table. I probably, well, he doesn't drink anymore. But I'm like, oh, I probably still could. But he doesn't drink anymore. <laughs> but I think that that's, that's interesting that we overindulge in everything. Yeah. Shopping. Gam- mm-hmm. gambling's not my thing shopping work yeah like, you give me anything I'm gonna overdo it yeah I don't care what it is yeah so and I'm even gonna over research things before I buy it yeah <laughs> isn't that stupid and no it's like it's yeah it all kind of stems back to the same thing the deeper issues <laughs> mm-hmm. the deeper issues mm-hmm. did you have anything else on your list that we needed to go over I think that, I mean, it's kind of always an forever, like, ongoing list, I think, yes, too. It is. So, I like, as I think of things, like, I definitely keep adding to it. Cause it's like, the things that, you know, it's just that things that come up, because I have to think about it, but I'm like, oh, I straight size person never has to worry about this. Yep. Like, fitting down the aisle of a movie. Like, if you've got a, tickets to a show or something are we sitting smack dab in the middle and I'm going to have to try to climb over all these people or are we on the end? Oh, thank goodness. <sighs> yeah. yeah. That's a real thing. Yeah. And that whole idea of just being able to fit, like to fit. Yeah. The question for you. Yes. How has it been transformative for you to work with a practitioner who gets it? It has been huge because right out of the gate, the fear that we kind of already have like of all these fears I've kind of talked about is kind of gone. So you're already immediately able to just open up and be vulnerable and like someone who understands, like, I don't have to explain, like if I said this again to a straight person, I'm like, Oh, I have this fear of going to the doctor's office and sitting in a chair. I think someone would look at me confused because they don't experience that. They never experience that and they don't, these kinds of things they don't fear and they would, so they don't know how to, I think then deal with it or deal with the root of it. So working with you, you know, is so much that whole fear piece is already gone. 
and my guard's already down. So it's like, okay, we can kind of just get straight to the point yeah. and get to healing instead that's, of, yeah. That's interesting that you said that. Cause there, I have a gentleman that I see in, in person and he said, I, he was talking about something and because, you know, working with me, I, I'm going to let you have pizza. I'm, like, I'm not going to mess with you having like fun yeah. foods too. Right. But he was talking about, and I'm like, oh yeah, go get you some, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know what, this is why my wife and I really appreciate working with you because you're, you're the real deal. You're not like this skinny, mini hippie dippy person that has no idea what it feels like to be us and to like, they're always mm-hmm. eating like weird. I, I always, I don't know. This is probably really judgmental. So please pardon me for just one moment while I go off on this tangent. <laughs> They probably don't shave their pits. They probably don't have, they're probably eating hemp seeds and, and, and soybeans and whatever. And they're not eating like real food. They're not like the real person. And they don't, they live a life that's very, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do this. Don't get me wrong that we should have a quiet life, but in reality, we have a real life and we want to go live it. We want to go and see concerts. We want to go and like, he wanted to go jump out of a dang airplane by all means. I'm not going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, but that was his goal was to lose enough weight to get on the airplane and jump out and be safe on the little, you know, the insurance waiver thing. Um, (laughs) I'm like, that's crazy, man. But like to be a real practitioner who gets it and is not just sitting here showing before and afters of her before pregnancy and after pregnancy and, you know, like all those weird things. I'm like, Honey, I was like born big. Oh, I wasn't born big. I was soon big after birth. Like, yeah, it's been a whole life thing. And I mm-hmm. think that we forget that that there is no such thing as perfection. That's mm-hmm. only found in Jesus Christ. And this piece of being understood is so pivotal. Mm-hmm. Understanding the journey is so pivotal when it comes to working with a professional because it's, it's like, I, I was seeing a nutrition coach for myself and this person was not a parent, has no idea what it's like to be a parent, has no idea what it's like to, for me, you know, my husband was active duty at the time, what it's like to be an active duty military wife, let alone a parent and having to do all of that. Didn't understand any of that. All that the person cared about was my food and what was on the scale every week. Did it yeah. work? Absolutely. It did. But there was Mm -hmm. so much going on underneath that needed to be addressed that I felt like I had to hide and be perfect with him. And it really limited me. And I Mm -hmm. feel like when I'm working with you, working with other clients that I really stress not being perfect. Yes. Yeah. That's a huge, because I think, you know, I, for lack of a better word, like using the word normal or not normal kind of thing, but like, you know, you're a normal person. It's <laughs> not like this. I, you know, you have done the work and have lived that life that most of us have, like struggled with the same kinds of things that most of us have versus someone who maybe never has struggled with that and has always been into fitness and exercise yeah. and all these things. It's like, so having someone who can relate is huge, but also someone who immediately you, you don't just don't feel the judgment. And again, not that maybe it's in our heads a lot, I think, too, that, oh, this person must perceive me as this way. Or like when I do mess up, because 
we're going to mess up. Mm-hmm. We're going to go off the rails. I'm going to go to that Taco Bell drive through here mm-hmm. and again and like get everything off it because this, that and the other. And instead of immediately like the shame, because I've, I've been to like other places and and then just quit because it's like there's too much shame. Yeah. Because it's yeah. like I messed up. I remember going like this was at the doctor's office, like the bariatric doctor's office. I wasn't going to have surgery, but you know, my doctor was like, if you're serious about this or whatever, let's get you in the program. And they gave me meal replacement shake, like slim mm. fast, basically, which I hated. And I just remember a nurse once I came in, I got, did my way in and because they don't give you the right tools that you need of the mental part of it, because mm-hmm. that's the root. It's not just, I mean, I can sit here and eat healthy, good food mm-hmm. all day, every day. But if I don't deal with the mental, it's never, this disorder is never going to go away. But I remember I had gained some weight because I fallen off the rails, didn't have the real support that I needed. And I felt so much judgment from that nurse. Yeah. And she was like, you gained weight. And I, I remember feeling so much shame. Yeah. And then I was like, I canceled one of my next appointments. I stopped going. Yep. That doctor moved. Then I just didn't go back because yeah. I was like, well, I'm out. Gained all my weight back that I lost. Yeah plus some as yep. usual. And it's like, that's the thing. It's like I'm surrounded by all these skinny mini people or people who had just had gastric, which to me, like, yes, there's a time and a place for that. But like, I didn't want that because I'm like, that's a cop out. Cause I'm just going to get right back. So many gastric p- patients get right back to, because again, they're missing the important pieces. It's the mental part yes, and the food of what's going on and why we have this disorder. So that's why I push it off <laughs> like for so many, so much, so many times. I think again, time and place for it, I think for sure. But I just for me, I was always like, I know I can get where I need to with and, the right help. Well, and that's what you do, like what you just said, like you wanted the help. You reached out. You had to be vulnerable and say, OK, I need help. I'm going to go get it. So you think about going directly to a bariatric doctor because, of course, that's what they specialize in. Of course, they're going to know how to help take care of me. Insurance covers it. That's awesome. And then you get there and you're like, oh, this is like a glorified dieting program or an MLM program with the shakes and all of that. It's just glorified and, and covered under insurance. And we think that that's like going to help us. And then we go back. So we have been, first of all, we've admitted we needed help. So we go where we think we need to go get help. And then when we get there, we realize that we're not actually seen, known, heard, cared for. We're judged, ridiculed, and all of those things because we should be able to lose this weight or you didn't follow the plan or you should have been, you should have had more willpower or you, you're better than that. All of that kind of stuff. And what they didn't take into account was what the heck happened this week? Mm -hmm. Where can we fix this? Where can we go and like hit the cycles? Because I remember the first time that you and I working together that we found one of your cycles and Mm -hmm. we broke it. And I remember, and it was, I cried. I cried because I'm like, holy crap, we did it. Mm -hmm. Holy crap. And I don't think to this day that you've had any binges like you did before working with me since we've been together. No, no, not like nothing like the the ongoing (laughs) onslaught of it. And to be fair to like, I know I struggled for a while, kind of right before I got pregnant, hitting kind of a plateau of like not losing weight, but I maintained the weight loss that I had for over a year. Yes. Then got pregnant. And so I feel like my weight gain, he was a big baby. So I feel like my weight gain was like 
on par with where I should have been. Yep. It wasn't like this crazy number and I'm, you know, I'm not any bigger than I was before I was, well, I'm right before I was pregnant, but like, I'm not at my highest weight. No, you're not. And like, you know, postpartum does a lot to a person, but even now, like I, you know, where I haven't been like as practice in deep with you, I've still maintained the same weight from postpartum. So within like two pounds, you know, like goes up, comes up, whatever. So that is something like my GP who I love had to remind me too. And you did too. It's like, that's part right there so much part of the journey and so hard to do so many people don't and that's something I conveyed um you know when I was struggling with fertility before we got pregnant there's that whole fear too mm-hmm. talking about my weight here we go again yep and the doctor made me cry and he immediately was like well he wanted to recommend me to ba- bariatric and he was like well something about having a success and I'm like but I have been successful and this is the only time I'd been successful in losing weight and maintaining it because yes. I had all the pieces that I needed. So that right out of the gate, I was like, no, I'm not going back there. And I said, I because I told him I went once. I lost about, I don't know, 20, 30 pounds or something. And but it all came back. Plus, mm-hmm. And plus, tenfold, mm-hmm. he was just like, you know, trying to get me to go back and wanted me to be successful. And I'm like, this is the most success I've ever had. Do you not hear? Like, I had lost like 40 pounds and kept it off yeah. for this much amount of time. I've never, ever been able to do that. And I think so. that that goes to another fear that we have that we yeah. haven't talked. I mean, I guess we kind of talked around it, but we haven't named it yeah. going to the doctor. Oh yeah. Going to the doctor yeah. is a huge fear. And can we just talk about like, look at the sunset in that beautiful. That's beautiful. Yes. Um, All the colors I love. I know. And I don't even have my light on in the office. I probably am going to need to turn the light on, but it, there's a fear of going to the doctor when we're overweight yeah. or obese yes. because we're scared of what they're going to say because we already know what they're going to say. But then also how many preventative diseases could have been prevented if we had gone to the doctor before or yeah. what have you, but mm-hmm. we're scared to go to doctors because we already know what they're going to say. And they're going to put us on a diet. They're going to tell us to get to bariatric. They're going to tell us all of this and tell us all the, the scary details of what might happen. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to understand. And that's something that I want to stand out so differently in my practice is that, yes, I'm a naturopathic doctor now, not a nutrition coach anymore, but I still use nutrition coaching. I still use nutritional therapy, but I'm also sitting here doing preventative care work because I want to be that space, like that all in one space for people to understand, oh my gosh, to understand that they are not alone and that I get it and that they are not a failure. They're not a loser. They're not... They're not, they should not be shameful. We need to bring that shame into the light and instead take action on things that actually matter and stop Mm -hmm. the shakes, stop all of this other crap that doesn't work. The shakes work because you're not, you're in a caloric deficit. Of course you're going to lose weight. Yeah. We're not going to eat shakes. Come on. We are meant to chew. We are meant to eat the burger. We are meant to eat the fries. We're meant to eat the pizza. We can, we just need to learn how to break free from all of that mindset work and so forth. So with that said, any wrap up thoughts you have, Carol, for this episode? Just thank you for letting me be a part of this and sharing my fears and thoughts and kind of, I'm hoping that someone else can also relate. I I think so, because again, these are 
kind of things that I've always had to think about. And so I'm hoping someone else can relate and be like, oh, me too. I didn't think of that kind of thing. Because nope. that always just makes me feel so much more like normal, quote unquote, you know, like, oh, I'm not the only one that feels that way or has had that fear kind of thing. So, and just thank you for allowing me to work with you. And this has been such a huge, huge step in my health journey. And like, you've just been there for every step of it. And it's been just so good taking charge of my health and prioritizing it. This, well, first of all, letting you letting you work with me no it's not that it's it's actually the opposite of you letting me walk alongside you and you sharing vulnerable things with me being honest maybe for the first time when we first started working together being very honest with yourself and with me and that's the only rule there is when you're working with me just be honest I don't like mm -hmm. liars I'm not going to be with liars ask my kids they lie to me once <laughs> and they're they are not happy my youngest had to <laughs> learn that the hard way because he just continued to keep lying I'm like dude it's more shameful to lie than to not I'm like anyway so my kids tell me the truth and I don't care like I have to brace myself for just how truthful they are sometimes I'm like <laughs> okay I turn my back and I'm just like okay here we go Anyway, the only rule to work with me is you have to be honest with yourself and honest with me. And that's it. And the fact that that takes vulnerability, that takes you trusting in me that I'm not going to come back and judge you or hurt you or anything else like anybody else has in the past. It's an honor. It is so, it is truly an honor to get to do what I do. And you're right. I hope that someone listens to this and is like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Yeah. Oh my gosh, these two gals get it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my belly claps and maybe I'm going to turn the music up next time. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe maybe I am going to the movie theater and maybe I'm going to try to sit in the middle seat in the middle of the row and just take mm -hmm. up space. Or yeah. maybe a gal's going to order a burger and fries when she goes out with her friends. Yeah. I hope that those of you listening choose to take up space because you get to, we're not on this, on this earth to live life small. If you have extra weight on your body, welcome to the Western culture. But also if you have extra weight on the body, it's not about dieting. It's not about finding the right diet. It's not about finding the next best workout. It's not about finding the next best thing. It's about finding the root and addressing the root of what is actually putting that weight on you and what's kept it on you. And maybe 2024 is the year for you to not die anymore. And maybe it's your year to set free all of that baggage that you're carrying. So all that said, I'm going to close out and let everybody's ears rest from my voice. But thank you so much, Carol, for joining me. I cannot believe that we get to do this. I cannot believe two small town girls meet up when we leave the small town and we get to work together and do things together and just really build that deeper community. So Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Um, I'd love to come back. This is great. Okay. We will have a part two. <laughs> yes. Awesome. All right. So thank you, Carol. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. Those of you listening and I will be in your ears next week. Thanks for listening to the Crying in My Cheesecake podcast. I hope it encouraged you to make a next best step for your health. Take a look at the show notes for more information or other links I mentioned in the episode. And if you got to this point in the episode, come find me on Instagram and send me a DM. Tell me that you listened to this episode and what you got out of it. 
And something extra I'm asking for is if you would please rate and review this podcast so others can get more, more people like us can actually find this episode. It is one free way that you can support this, support getting the word out there for people that need to hear these words. Have a good one.